But the, the story Back to the Future is about time travel, right? You've got Marty, the younger guy there, Michael J. Fox, and you've got Doc, who is, um, you know, has discovered the way to travel through time, go back in time, go to the future. And this is at the end of Back to the Future 1, where Marty has already been back in the past, and now he's back to present-day time. He's with his girlfriend, Jennifer, and Doc shows up in the space machine, and he says, hey, we've got to go back. You've got to go back to the future because there's some problems with your kids. And, and Marty and Jennifer get in the car with them, and then you see this scene. And Marty says this line, you know, Doc, we, we don't have enough road. Because in his mind, he had this picture of how to get through time. And, and then Doc you know, says, we don't need roads. You know, where we're going, we don't need roads. And the reason I showed this clip is because what, what, Doc, or what Marty was, was communicating was, hey, I've got this figured out. I understand how time travel works. And in a very similar way, this is somewhat our approach that we take when it comes to understanding God. And we're looking at just who God is. We're in a message series called God of Wonders where we're looking at the doctrine of God. Who is God? And we're trying to understand how He's like us because there's some ways that He, he shares some attributes with, with us. Um, he's actually created us to be like Him in some areas. And so certain things about God... We can understand because he's placed those things inside of us. He's placed some things inside of us that are to reflect his image. But then there's some things that are just not like us at all. Those are what, what books would call or scholars would call his incommunicable attributes. Things that he has not communicated, he's not shared with us, but we can learn about through the scriptures or we can learn about just through um, connecting with him, understanding, learning more about him. We can learn there's some things about God that just set him far, far apart from us. And just like Marty, sometimes we come to God and we think, I've got him all figured out. We, we, and, and I do this. I tend to box God in. I say, God, I want you to be like this. And I create this picture this in my mind of who God is. And I give him some boundaries and some limits. And I box him in and I don't give him a whole lot of freedom in my life. And we do this. We do this a lot. Uh, we think we know how God works. We think, you know, He needs to play by our rules or He needs to fit into um, our plans. Um, we expect God to be politically correct. You know, He needs to be, He can't offend anybody. So, again, we box Him into this, to this person that we want Him to be. Now, He hasn't necessarily communicated that to us, but we've created sometimes an image of God that's inaccurate. And so, that's why we're looking at this message series. Just who is God really? Last week we looked, just briefly to review with you, we looked at how God is, is a trinity. He's expressed himself. He's a triune nature. There's the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. They're all God. And we talked about last week how God in his, in his trinity, there are three persons, but they're one. And, and it's something that as humans we have a hard time getting our minds around this three in one. But as God in His diverse personality, in His diverse personhoods of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, He works and He operates with, within those persons to, to work out His plan in the world. And the Father does some things that are different than what the, the Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit does things that are different. There's diverse personalities, but there's this perfect unity. And when you look at the Trinity in the Scripture, you see this harmony and unity. And what that does for us is it sets a pattern for us to just look, look at and understand for our own relationships. 
Because what you find is if you're in a family or if you're married, you know, the scripture says that there's two that have become one flesh. There's a picture there, and it's correlating, in a sense, to God and His own nature, the Trinity. Or in church life, there's multiple people, but we're to be one body. There's, there's a diversity, but yet there's unity. And the Trinity displays a picture for us, for something for us to aim at. Uh, we also looked at how God is, is transcendent, how He's above and beyond. He's not confined to the universe that He's created. He's above and beyond it. But at the same time, the Scripture says that He's imminent, or He's closely involved in everything that he's created. So he's, he is above it all, and he's involved with it all. Another thing is he's omnipresent, so he's everywhere. Uh, we, we talked about this last, last week, just how he's present with us. There's no place you can go where God is not. And so we lit, looked at a scripture that talked about that. But today we're going we're gonna to need to kind of adjust our vision, because in the scriptures, God... He tells time differently than we do. We're going to look at this whole area of time. How does God see time? You know, we, we count time by hours and minutes and days and months and years. But God tells time very, very different. And so I want to look at some things the Scripture highlights and just give us some more understanding on who God is and then apply that to our, our lives. So if you'd like, you can pull out this listening guide and we'll just start with the, with the top phrase, God is eternal. As far as time is concerned, God is not bound by time because He is eternal. He never had a beginning and He, he never has an end. He, he has existed eternally. God spoke these words. You're going to find this up on your screen. It's Isaiah 57, 15. He spoke these words through the prophet Isaiah about 800 years ago. And this is what is said. For this is what the high and lofty one says. He who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in a, whole, a high and a holy place, but also with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. You know, you, you catch the phrase in the beginning. He's the one who lives forever. The scripture is very clear about the fact that God has eternally existed. David 200 years before the prophet Isaiah, David, the king of Israel, the second king, he, he said this in Psalm 90, verses 1 and 2. He said, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Look at that verse. In the beginning of verse 2, it says, before the mountains were born. Mountains, to people in the ancient world, mountains, they symbolized something that would last forever. Or dependability. You know, something that was strong and firm and would not crumble. Those were the mountains. And so whenever they needed to picture something strong and dependable, they would look at the mountains. And, and for, in the Bible, when the scriptures talk about the mountains, the picture is, is faithfulness, dependability. And so he's saying, look, even before the mountains were born, you brought forth the earth and the world. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And this phrase, everlasting to everlasting, it's basically, it's a way to communicate continuous existence in both directions. Okay? So it's, it's past and future, always and forever. There's songs like that, you know, always and forever that communicate this same idea. But... From the eternity that has passed, okay, from the time before time began 
to the eternity that is that is on into the future, you know, we can't really describe God's etern- his his eternity. Just the fact that he's eternal. It's just it's beyond our capacity to understand. If we said somebody lives forever, we might be able to get a grip on that because we can see where it starts. Like if we said, oh, I'm going to live forever because I drank the juice that, you know, that makes me live forever. It might make sense to us, but imagining, you know, having no beginning and having no end, that's just, it's really beyond us. And we, we've heard the whole question about, you know, who came first, the chicken or the egg? And people try to apply that to, to God. You know, who, who created God? And the answer to that is no one, nothing. God is self-existent. He's not dependent on anyone. He's eternal. He was there before time as we know it began. Time is really for us, in a sense. Time was created, seasons and everything was part of God's creation to sustain life, to sustain God's creation. But God existed before that. He existed for all eternity. He will exist for all eternity. And, and so the scriptures just communicate this over and over again. And the reason I started with this this morning is because knowing about knowing this about him helps us feel safe and significant in life. To know that our God is one who's not dependent on seasons. He's not dependent on um, on anything that he has created. It makes me feel safe. It makes me feel more significant knowing that God is he's outside of this reality. He's outside of all of this. Yet he's in he's in tune and he's in touch with our lives. Another thing that that you learn is that the, the scripture communicates all these things that God is connected to that will exist forever. And first, his righteousness. You see this in Psalm 111:3. There's some things that the scripture says will exist forever. One is God's righteousness. Psalm 111.3 says, Glorious and majestic are His deeds, and His righteousness endures forever. Righteousness is a, is a Hebrew word that is sometimes translated justice, and it, it's a judicial term. Okay, God has set a standard for what is right. He's he set the boundaries on what is right living, relating to Him, and what is right in the way we treat other people, what's just. And so His righteousness, His standards... Those things will last forever, the scripture says. Those, you know, there won't be a time where we, where we hit where his ways and his righteousness will be old school or obsolete or outdated. Even though that, that's kind of what you hear about today in the society. Well, that's, you know, what the Bible says and what God, the God standards, that was back then for those people back then. But the scripture says this stuff goes on. His ways are right for all eternity. Another thing is his praiseworthiness. You learn in Scripture that God is praised. He's being praised right now in heaven. And He will, for all eternity, be praised. You know, we come and we sing songs in church once a week. And we we lift up His name. We sing praises to Him. We magnify God's name. Well, this is kind of a a foreshadowing of what is to come. What we'll be able to experience if we'll live, if, if we commit our life to Christ and we'll live with Him forever in eternity, this is... This is what's going to happen for all eternity is praise to God. It will just continue forever. Look at Psalm 111.10. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And all who follow His precepts have good understanding. To Him belongs eternal praise. This is going to continue throughout all eternity. Praise. Praise to our Lord. 
Another thing is, the Scripture says that God's Word, His Word will exist forever. In, in the book of Isaiah 40, verse 8, the prophet, again, this is about 800 years ago, and the prophet there, he's talking about how men are like the grass in the fields. And he's saying, you know, the grass and the withers, or the grass withers and the flowers fall. Like, he's comparing the lives of our lives to, to grass. He's saying there is an expiration. There is a time when these things will not be here. All of us, at some point, you know, we are gonna, we're going to pass away. And Isaiah is saying that, you know, just like the grass and the withers, the grass withers and the flowers fall, just like that, so is, you know, mankind. The verses before that, it talks about that. But then he says this, but the word of the Lord stands forever. There's this, you know, what he has communicated to us, his words, those things will go on into all eternity. It sets, again, it sets the standard of how life will work for eternity. And what he has said will not expire. It won't be outdated. The last thing is this, his kingdom. The scripture says that his kingdom will exist forever. And Psalm 10:16, you find out he, he is reigning as king right now. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations will perish from his land. So basically you have different nations, and we've seen this throughout history. You see nations rise up and then they fall. And nations rise up and then they fall. But God, as the King of kings, who has an eternal kingdom, He will reign forever. Psalm 45.6 says, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. So again, you just see that God, in His eternal plan, He will reign. His word will set the standard. His righteousness will exist forever. And all of those things um, help us understand what is really important in this life. If we understand God is eternal, it changes some of our views on just how we are to spend our life. Because hopefully, if we understand God's eternal, then we might begin to think in light of eternity for our own life. Another thing that Scripture says, though, is that He's unchangeable. So He's both eternal, and then in that eternal nature... He is not changing. Who He is remains the same. We just sang a song. Yesterday, today, and forever. You're the same. You you never change. And that's the truth about God. Who He is remains steady. And this is, again, this is an area where He is not like us. Because you and I, we change. Our emotions change. Our appearances change over time. You know, some people, you look at them and they're like, man, He looks the same as He did in high school and other people do not you know they just we change but even the person who looks the same as he did in high school will not look the same forever you know we change our emotions and just our thoughts our our lives just you know what we encounter in life we just there's constant change going on and we're we're constantly seeming like we're just trying to to duck and dive and and adjust to what's happening and make make adjustments while God, He remains steady throughout all eternity. James 1.17, this is in the New Testament, he says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. So God, He can never be more or less wise. He can never be more or less holy. God can 
you know, he can't be more or less just or merciful. He, he is who he is will not change over time. He doesn't wear down in certain areas. Hebrews 13, 8, and this is based on this or this is where that song that we sang yesterday, today and forever comes from. It says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. Jesus, God, 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 the son, you know, he came to the earth. He died. The scripture says that three days later he was resurrected. He ascended to the father. And as he was leaving, he sent his he gave his closest followers a, a mission to work with and to obey. And then they began to carry on some of his teachings. You know, they tried to apply and obey what he said. And this verse from the writer of Hebrews is saying, look, you know, there's all sorts of different people teaching different things. Because one of the things that the early church dealt with was false teaching. You had all sorts of people come in and say, you know, here's what it means to follow God, or this is some things that, that, that are important you need to know. And they started laying things over what God said and adding some things. And the writer of Hebrews is, is trying to say, hey, don't let go of Jesus' teachings. What he says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's just saying, look, hang on to the truth that you have received and you've been taught. So he's eternal and he's unchanging. And the reason I bring these things up is, is to help us to evaluate how are we living in light of eternity. If God is going to stay the same throughout all eternity, then it's really important for us to live our lives in the present in light of eternity. We're, we're all going to live somewhere for all eternity. If you've committed your life to Jesus Christ and you've made him the boss of your life, then you'll live with God forever throughout all eternity. And so there's some things right now that we need to clue in on. We want to make sure we make our lives about the right things while we're here so that eternity, in eternity, we'll be able to share some things differently. We'll be able to... Uh, and let's look at some of the passages here that, that I think really impacts these having an eternal mindset. Okay, Three areas we want to examine right now is time, our talents, and our treasure. This is how we evaluate whether or not we're, we're living for eternity. We have an eternal perspective. The first thing, just the area of time. How do we use our time? We have a certain amount of time each day and year. And, you know, nothing, we can't add time to our lives. Uh, we might be able to, in our minds, prolong life. You know, we can exercise and try to live more healthy. But, in, but God has said that our days are numbered. He has numbered our days. He understands how long we're going to be here. So Psalm 90, 12, it says this, says, teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. The scripture here is saying, hey, don't, <clears throat> don't be careless in the way that you use your current use of time. You know, don't just haphazardly live life and do what you want to do, but you know, the psalmist here is praying, Lord, teach us how to number our days in the right way. Help us to use our time wisely. Help us to make the most. The New Testament says, make the most of every opportunity for the days are evil. Like there is a sense that a God tells time very different than ours, than, than we do. And he wants us to look at time as a, as, a, as a series of many, many opportunities that we need to take to invest in kingdom things. He wants us to be thinking for eternity. So a good question to ask yourself is, do I live and do I schedule and do I plan with eternity in mind? 
Am I mindful about eternity and the way that I use my time? I used to work as a uh, as a a sales director, um, and I had a home office, and I had a region of the country that I was responsible for, and I was traveling most of the time, and um, there was six or seven of us field directors that that did the same thing in different parts of the country, and all of us had home offices, and we'd call in for a weekly conference call with the rest of our staff, and, and you know, but it was one thing. Having a home office, there was a tremendous amount of, of uh, freedom there, and yet there's accountability as well. But, you know, your boss, he's not able to put a camera in your, in your room or in your house or in your office and watch what you're doing. He's just expecting that, that you're doing your job. And there was a point in which... Um, our boss was concerned because production was going down. And so he said, hey, I want everybody to do a time study. And I want to see what you're doing every 15 minutes of your day. And so we'd have to work and we'd have to write out, I made these calls and we'd have to fax them for a, for a week. We'd have to send them these time studies. And then on occasion, he would just ask us to do these random time studies. And you know, because you have all this freedom, it's not always easy to stay really productive when you're working at home because there's all these distractions. But in a way, that's kind of how God relates to us. We all, in a sense, work from home. Um, we all kind of have a home office when it comes to using our time. And God, He sees it all, but He, he really does allow us to use our time in any way we would choose. But He expects that we're using our time wisely. He expects that, that we're going to be thinking about eternity and not just the here and now. And so with the, treat, with the freedom that he's given us, I think a good question to just ask is, does my time reflect eternal purposes? The way I use my time, the way I'm taking, am I taking opportunities that reflect that I, that I care about God's kingdom for all eternity? So that's the first area. The second thing is our talents. This is something that we want to evaluate often. It's just how are, how are we using the talents, the abilities, the gifts that... that we have been given by God. And in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, we're told each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. So everyone, if, you're, if you've committed your life to Christ, the Holy Spirit has given you some spiritual gifts, some, some things that he, that he has given that um, He wants you to use to benefit his eternal kingdom. He's trying to use some things. He's collectively bringing us together to work together, to pull together with our talents to get some things done for eternity. And, and the second part of this verse, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms, you know, this is how God gets his work done. He, we are faithfully administering his work. As we'll carry out the talents, as we use our gifts, talents, our abilities, to further his kingdom, you know, that's how he's getting things done in the world. And so some of us, you know, maybe your gifts are related to kids. Maybe you're just really skilled at working with kids. You know, well, then, then you ought to be using that for kingdom purposes. You ought to use your gifts with children to, to work with, with kids, helping them to connect with God. We have ways for you to do that. Um, but just if your gift is serving, you know, maybe God is... Some people, they have a spiritual gift of service. They just really, really get fired up about serving people. Whether it's, 
And most of the time it's behind the scenes. They don't need to be on stage. They don't need to have, uh, you know, they, they, they can work perfect, um, you know, behind the scenes. They would prefer to not have any spotlight on them. They're just, they're servants in that. And they have that gift. It fires them up. When they, the more they serve, the more energy they have. When they're not serving, they get restless. And this is part of our spiritual gifts. There's, we find that when we're operating within our gifts, then there's a tremendous amount of fulfillment if we're doing it for God's kingdom and not for our own benefit. But, you know, maybe that's your gift, serving. So, as a church, we want to help you plug into using your gifts. Uh, maybe, maybe hospitality is your gift. There's a list. There's three different places where you can find um, the list of spiritual gifts. Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and Ephesians chapter 4. There's some other verses that have some... Uh, but those are the main three where there's lists of spiritual gifts. And you can just see the different ways that God um, pours His gifts into the church. But hospitality might be yours. Uh, and so, if that's your gift, then, then you need to be hosting people. You need to be relating and connecting with people. And, you know, that's your gift. You need to use that. Uh, not everybody is, is a skilled person when it comes to hospitality and making a good impression. You know, we want to help facilitate you using your gifts here. Uh, maybe you're tech, technically minded. You know, we have teams that you can serve on for that. Maybe it's music, arts. You know, again, we want to help you use your gifts here. But on a side note, however you use your gifts, however you use the way God's wired you, it needs to be to strengthen the body of Christ. That's the point, is it strengthens, it strengthens the body and it benefits the kingdom for all eternity. People are being drawn to God as you use your gifts. If, if you using your gift is all about you getting the credit and the glory, then, then that's, that's, not, that's not what God would intend. He wants you to use those things to benefit His kingdom for all eternity. I think about gifts and I think, you know, we get gifts, like uh, some gifts on Christmas that, that we're like, oh, that's a nice gift, and we leave it alone, and oh, that's a nice gift, but we get this one gift that we really, really like. And we're thinking, oh, I want to play with this gift. And if you're a kid, you know, you're thinking, yeah, I really want to play with this, this thing, this little whatever it is. And, uh, and these other gifts are over here on the side. Well, in, in the body of Christ, God has actually commanded us to um, obey Him in all sorts of areas. So the Scripture says that we're all to be servants. The Scripture says, you know, there's times when we all need to instruct others, when we need to instruct people in certain areas. There's the scripture that talks about, um, you know, loving people. Now you may feel like, well, those aren't really my gifts. You know, servant service is not my gift, or love is not my gift, but but hospitality really is. And so you want to focus only on that one gift. You have to be careful because most of the gifts that the scripture talks about also has a, a command in the New Testament. There's you know, so if we want to obey God, we need to really try to figure out how to implement most of the spiritual gifts anyway. But there are certain ones that will fire you up. There are certain ones that you'll use and it'll, it'll energize you. But be careful that you just don't neglect certain areas because you think God hasn't spiritually gifted you in that way. Because without realizing it, you could be being disobedient in certain areas. But all that to say, we need to use our gifts to serve people. So ask yourself, am I, am I using any of my gifts to serve others? Am I serving God's eternal kingdom or do those things benefit me? When I do what I love to do, does that just does it, does it make me shine? 
It needs to make God shine. It needs to make God look good. The last thing is this, our treasure. When we live in light of eternity and we understand that God is eternal, it makes more sense to give Him what He's asked for us to give Him. For us to steward and to use the money He's entrusted to us. That makes a lot more sense in light of understanding that God is working something out and His kingdom is eternal. And we can participate in that by contributing financially. That, that makes more sense if we understand who God really is. Look at Matthew six nineteen through 21. It says, Don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So Matthew's saying, look, you have a choice. You can either work and work and work and store up for yourself all this stuff that will eventually burn, break down, fade away. Or you can store up for yourself treasures in heaven. In other words, you can invest in things financially right now that will go on for eternity. You can invest in people. You can use your resources to benefit the lives of people who will live forever with God. Also, the, the whole idea of the treasure in the Scriptures is you know, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. The Bible says, and, and you want to make sure that if you're investing in something, you're going to get to experience that. And this Matthew six nineteen through 21, he's saying, if you're investing in all this stuff here and now, it's all going to fade away. Then what will you experience in eternity? You're going to miss out on some joy because you've invested in the wrong things if you're not careful. And so Jesus over and over again says, do not miss using your resources for eternity. Jesus spoke on a variety of different topics, but 15% of what he said dealt with money, possessions, and stewardship. He said more about this area of stewarding than he did any other single topic in the Bible. And, it, you know, you've got to ask yourself, if the scripture, if there's this sheer enormity of teaching in the Bible on money, then why is he screaming at us? The reason is because the way we steward our money is a direct reflection of our growth and our maturity. And this is a difficult, difficult area to surrender to God. And, and so, if you were to follow this Matthew chapter 6 a little further on, you'd find this verse, Matthew 6.33, in this familiar verse. It, it says, But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. And the verses before this, he's talking about not getting consumed by the, by, by the things of this earth. He's saying, you know, we walk around and we ask, what am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? What am I going to wear? And he says, don't worry about those things. Your Heavenly Father, He knows you need those things. He'll take care of those things. And eventually, he gets to this verse 33. And he just says, but seek first. His kingdom. That needs to be our priority. That needs to be the first and the most important thing for us. Seek first. This, I get kind of hung up on that phrase, seek first, because there's no way around first. There's only one thing that can be number one. The kingdom of God has to be first in our life in, in different ways. The way we use our time, the way we use our talents, the way we use our money, the way we use our treasure. And... and we have to think about this. 
in the nuts and bolts of how we do our life. Otherwise, we miss it. We miss it when we make an investment in the wrong things. Um, but think, think about, if I'm seeking first God with my treasure, what does that look like? It, it really, when we get paid, you can phrase it this way. When I get paid, what do I pay first? You know, where does God fit on my list of things to pay? You know, and I know I've got a budget and I've got all these items I need to pay. We have to ask ourselves, where, where is God? Do I, do I pay? Do I give God what he's asked me to give him first? Or do I see if there's anything left at the very end after I've paid everything? And you know, I'm trying to weigh, can I afford cable this month? Or can I keep my gym membership? I, I know I need to give God something, but I don't want to give up these things. We, what, what we tend to do is we seek last the kingdom of God. And I say we tend to do. I think this is because this is a struggle. And this is why Jesus talked about this so much is because our treasure is so close to our heart. Wherever your treasure is, your heart follows along your treasure. And so we have to be really careful that we are giving him out of what's first in our lives. If if you're you know, if you've committed your life to Christ, if you've made him the boss of your life, then this is really an important thing for you to to catch. God wants he wants you to use your resources for eternity, for the kingdom. If if you're still in the process of thinking through committing your life to him, you're not ready to do that yet, then this is kind of more of a family talk. You got to. You got to hop into a family talk, and, and um, so this doesn't apply to you at this point. But it helps as you're thinking through that. Wow, if I were to commit my life to Christ, God wants me to give of my resources to Him. Um, it's very true. As I was a, a college freshman, um, I, I decided I wanted to start taking God seriously. And I had been raised in the church, but at that point I decided I want to make Him the boss of my life and do life His way. But this area took very, very long time for me to, to surrender to him. And what I thought was, you know, after I graduate school and after I get a good job and after I mature, then I'm going to start using my resources. I'm going to obey him then. I'll wait until the conditions and the circumstances in my life are right. And I really tied it to my circumstances. But the truth is, um, it was keeping me from growing. It's an area of growth. Again, our spiritual maturity is tied to, the, to these types of areas. If we're willing to really trust God, because it's a matter of trusting Him. If I give Him, and the Scripture lays out a pattern of, of what's called the tithe. A tenth of our income is, is to be given back to God. And that's a scary thing. And I remember um, thinking about that. Uh, yeah, that's, that's for the mature folks. I'm going to give if it's convenient and give if I can afford to do it. Well, I wasn't seeking God first. He wasn't most important. And I had to wrestle with that. Until I began to do that, then I, I didn't really start to grow. Because I, I just didn't want to obey Him in that area. The truth is, what I now realize is that my circumstances in life can always prevent me from obeying Him. You know, because, you know, I, all of us, we, we probably all struggle with debt. So being in debt... That's the circumstance. It shouldn't keep you from obeying God and keep seeking Him first. I would, I would guess if I said, if anybody in debt here at all, you know, I'm not asking you to do that, but you know, there's a few hands that just shot up anyway. So, you know, you know, that, that's not a circumstance that should prevent you from seeking Him first. Having more kids, I got another kid on the way, and I'm like, oh, how are we going to afford another kid? That's not a circumstance that should keep me from seeking Him first in this area. My car's breaking down. My car will always break down because it's stuff. It will break down. 
We've got to trust God. We've got to seek Him first and trust Him. Because if we'll do that, the Scripture promises He'll meet our needs. He'll take care of the things that we, that we are working so hard to secure. Um, last verse here I wanted to address was Malachi 3, 8-10. through 10. If you've never given to God before, this is one area that, that God says you can test Him in. And he, he, he says, don't test me in things. But in this, he allows a test. He says, will a man rob God? He says, yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you in tithes and offerings? In other words, they were holding back in their giving. And the scripture here is saying, if you hold back in giving to God what he says is really his, what he's asked us to give him, then we're actually robbing him. And that's a pretty harsh statement. And it's hard for us to swallow that. But he, and he says there's an effect. He says, because of that, we're under a curse. The whole nation of you, because you're robbing me, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, and there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. The principle here is you cannot outgive God, but you have to trust Him. And you have to decide, I'm going to seek you first here. I'm going to trust you in this area. And I was reading something that said, and the scripture says, in the manner that you give, God will give back to you. So if you give and you've got a little uh, teaspoon, God will see to it that he gives back a heaping teaspoon. If it's a tablespoon, he'll, he'll make sure that he'll pour blessing of a heaping tablespoon, the book was saying. This is the analogy. And he says, if you, if you bring out a, a wooden spoon and you give him a wooden spoon worth of treasure, then he'll, bring, he'll give back a wooden spoon heaping amount. If you bring a wheelbarrow to him, so he gives back in proportion to what we give to him. And so that's why it's, it's, it's a trust issue. To give him a tithe is, is a scary thing. And, um, but that's, and that's what the scripture teaches. And that, that's what it means to obey him, is to trust him in even the scary areas. Um, the bottom, you'll see there's some next steps to take. And you, you know, you, you're wondering at this point, how did he get on to tithing on a message about God being eternal? But it's because God is an eternal God and his kingdom will go on for all eternity. That's why we give. That's why we put him first is because we want to be a part of what will last forever. And it's, it's that important. My next step today, there's three things I'd encourage you to, to look at in relation to your time, your talent, your treasure. First is I'd encourage you to do a time study. Maybe maybe you realize your time Maybe isn't being used for kingdom things or eternal things. I'd encourage you to do a time study to just evaluate how am I using my time. Pick a day and just reflect on your day and say, well, how did I use my time? And think through what you did with your day. Look at your phone. Look at just try to figure out what you did. And, and maybe over the course of a week, get a clear picture of how you're using your time. Another thing is uh, you might consider beginning to serve on a ministry team here. Um, if you've been coming around if, if you just started attending here, I'd encourage you to ask questions, find out what we're all about. Uh, but if you've been coming around and, um, and you're not a part of the ministry team, we have a variety of teams you could serve on. We'd love to help you get plugged in. And there's a resource table there in the back. And a few people from our church will be standing back there. And they can tell you about four different teams that we try to encourage people to start out on just to give you a, a first taste at serving in our church. And... They're really based around both what you can do and get involved in, 
but also some things that we need to get done each week. There are certain things. None of this stuff just, you know, is here. We set it up and tear it down every week. Um, we have teachers and there's just all sorts of teams we could encourage you to serve on. So I'd encourage you to check that out. And the last thing is just uh, maybe this area of your treasure. Maybe the step you need to take is just work towards giving a tithe to the Lord. Um, again, a tithe is a tenth, a tenth of our income. And um, if this is brand new, that might be, uh, you know, you're thinking he's out of his mind. And so uh, what I'd encourage you to do is to is to move a step forward in this area. If you if you don't give anything and you're a part of our church, you attend here regularly, I'd encourage you to begin to give and contribute to what we're doing here because uh, this is how work gets done. This is how we're able to do what we do. Everything that, you know, that we have in the back, all the resources, our, our staff, the building we meet in, none of this is free. And so, um, and we can't do it, you know, with just one or two uh, uh, families who are willing in this area. We really need a church that, that will take this responsibility. We had um, uh, two years of a startup resources and support from our sponsor churches. We had four different sponsor churches that helped us get our church off the ground. We've been in existence for about a year and uh, ten months. And in two months, we lose a good portion of our outside support. And so as a church, we, we now, we've slowly be- begun to really carry the load and move forward. But in, in a few months, we really need to, to be carrying this as a church on our own. And so I bring this stuff up because it's, it's really, a, this is a body issue. This is what we have to do together. And so... If you if you already give a set amount, I'd encourage you to move towards giving a percentage. Um, scripture lays out a pattern of proportional giving. First Corinthians sixteen two is an example of this, um, where he talks about giving a set amount that's tied to your income. Um, so I encourage you maybe ask God, God, where could I start? I'm afraid to get to that ten percent, but would you give me the faith to start at this level or that level? And ask God to begin to grow your faith. If you already give a percentage, then I'd, I'd encourage you to, to ask God to give you the faith to move that towards 10%. Whatever you do, uh, 2 Corinthians 9-7 says that we're to um, take this before the Lord. We're to pray and ask God about this area of giving. It's not something that, um, that any of us wants you to do just because I preached a message on, on this. But this is something that you need to go before the Lord and just say, God, what, what, what do you want me to do here? And I want, to, I want to respond to what you're saying. Scripture guides us to, to do that cheerfully without having this begrudging attitude to where we're giving, we're writing our check, and we're saying, oh, this is so painful and I'm so angry at, that God doesn't want that. He would prefer and we would prefer that you not give in that way. But that you'd allow God to give, you know, allow you to give with a cheerful attitude. Um, next week we're going to look at how God is is the all-powerful God and just looking at some areas that don't make any sense to us because it's, it's more in the realm of the Lord and His work. And so I encourage you to come and listen to what we're going to talk about as far as God's sovereignty. Also, I'd like to ask you to keep praying for one of our families, Phil and Shauna Carmona. Um, Phil is our sign language interpreter. He's usually here. And his wife is a part of that our deaf ministry as well. And um, they made a real investment in our church and serving in that way. And they had, um, I, uh, they had extremely premature babies this past week. Um, 
And the babies were born at 23 weeks and five days. And they've been in uh, NICU for, for that entire time. And the doctors have given them a 50% chance of survival. And it's kind of been an up and down thing every day. Yesterday was a really, really rough day. And it, was, it didn't have the greatest news. And so um, I want to pray for them. And then I'd encourage you to just pray for them. Phil and Shauna Carmona are the, the parents' names. Their boys' names are Xander and Braxton. And they're just, I saw them and got to pray with the parents and for the babies. And they're just these little boys. But it's amazing to see their bodies fully functioning and, and there and just at this at this tiny size and just encourage you to, to ask, you know, God for a miracle and, and pray for that family. So let, let's go to Lord in prayer and our band's going to come up and we'll continue in worship. Father, we thank you for just a chance to, to talk about eternity, God, to talk about things that will last beyond our lifetime. And Lord, thank you for the opportunity you give us to participate in eternity through our time, through our talents, through our treasure. And God, if you've spoken to, to us today about any of these areas, Lord, I pray that we would obey you, God. I pray that as we, as we wrestle with this stuff, Lord, we would pray, that we would bring this before you in prayer, and um, we'd let you speak to these different areas. I also want to lift up, God, Phil and Shauna Carmona and Xander and Braxton, their, their new sons. God, I pray for your hand of protection in their lives and Lord, I pray against the enemy and just his efforts to um, take life away. And God, even just ask that you not allow him to plan any uh, discouraging thoughts or to really um, um, discourage the Carmonas. We pray that you would not allow him to do that. And we pray for the doctors that are involved, the nurses that are caring for those boys. We just ask, Father, that you would um, do a mighty work just allowing those boys and their bodies to develop um, in a healthy way. God, we pray specifically for their white blood cell counts to increase so that their bodies can grow and develop and fight off any infections. And um, we thank you, God, that we can bring things like this before you. Thank you that you're listening, that you really do care about our lives. And um, Father, we, um, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.